this semester, we're going through Galatians uh, 5. I want to start with a word of prayer because we are talking again today. Uh, we're going to finish up on the Holy Spirit and talk about the love of God. So we've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I just want to make sure uh, that um, there's focus and that we really hear and know the truth. Dearest Jesus, we thank you for this morning. And we just thank you for the ladies who sit here before us, ready to take in your word. I pray, Lord, that you would keep my mind focused, all of our minds focused, Lord. Keep our hearts open to you and uh, let us hear the word accurately, teach the word accurately, Lord. And uh, we just pray that your spirit would, would be with us to, to teach and to dwell in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to start by reading our little portion today called Walking in the Spirit, and it begins in Galatians 5, 16. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish, who's been there. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, Lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dimensions of dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. That's a key word, and the like. So basically sin. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, and this is what we're looking for, ladies, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one I forgot to get my notes out in just a second. That is a beautiful passage of scripture. And last week we started uh, the, the semester talking about the Holy Spirit. And I felt afterwards we, we covered a lot of scripture. And I basically just read scripture for an hour. <laughs> we were, I think we were all encouraged and reminded how much the Spirit uh, is to our relationship with God. Without him, we don't have that relationship with us. And I just wanted to um, review it and just add a couple of, of thoughts. So uh, when we read those little scriptures, the Holy Spirit has, basically has many, many functions with us. Some of those lie in the positional truth. If you look at your notes there, you'll see a list, a fresh list. It's just um, from last week um, of the things that are, as believers, are always true. So once we become believers, we are always believers. And the Holy Spirit makes sure that that is the case. So uh, in 2 Corinthians 1.21, the Holy Spirit is the promise and pledge of salvation. He never leaves us or forsakes us. Ladies, we cannot, if we are truly believers, if we've accepted Christ as our Savior and we're a child of God, we cannot lose our salvation. It doesn't mean we don't sin. That doesn't mean we can't backslide, but we are always the child of God, once a child of God. Romans 6, 3 through 5, 
talks about um, that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. We become one with Christ and his family. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? Acts 2.38 um, tells us that the Holy Spirit is the gift we get at baptism and, and salvation. So if you missed last week, on your email, you will find notes from last week. And there was an extensive list of verses about the Holy Spirit. And if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and read it because it will make your heart sing. It will assure you of your salvation. It will help you to remember this is not about me. God, this is all about God. So how does this work? So we talked, when I said last week to you guys, I said, um, you know, what do we do with all this? And we talked about the filling of the Holy Spirit. I said, do you ever question whether you're filled with the Holy Spirit? And there was a big yes in the room. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is permanent. There's nothing that we do. Okay, The filling of the Holy Spirit has to do with the practice of the Holy Spirit, of us walking in him, walking in the Spirit. And what we know about God is that he hates sin. And um, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And if we're practicing sin... Then, the, then we're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. We're going to quench him, and he's not going to be in us. But that can be restored through confession. If we sin, we quench the Holy Spirit. We pour water on him. We put out the fire. We put out his presence. He cannot coexist with sin. So, 1 John 1, 9 has a solution to that. And that is, we can, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here we start again. And if we're, depending on where we are in our life, maybe we have to confess a couple times a day, maybe a couple times a minute. Who knows, right? Some days are harder than others, right? So there's the position of the truth of the Holy Spirit and the application of that. Uh, my, uh, my sister had reminded us last week um, that we have we have action to do. We act on that knowledge that the Holy Spirit is in us. We adore God, confess our sins, and we thank Him. First Thessalonians five sixteen says, "Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you." It's pretty plain. And then it says, quench not the spirit. So we quench him when we don't give him credit or we don't look to him or we don't pray to him or we don't include him and we go our own way. That's all sinfulness. We quench him. We get rid of him. We don't, we don't dwell with him. But if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, he, we can hear his teaching, right? When he brings those verses to mind or when you're in the middle of a situation and you're thinking, I want to do this, but I know I really shouldn't. I rely on his strength to do the right thing. I choose to obey him. He gives me the strength to obey. To, he teaches me. He convicts me. So that's how he works in us. I heard a sweet, uh, my youngest daughter again, sent me a um, podcast this week. And it was by an author. And he was talking about um, just how busy life is, you know. And you're going through life. And it's hard to stay connected to the Lord because there's so many. Somebody told me the other day, it's like we make there's an obscene number of decisions a day, something like 35,000. And that's not big decisions like I'm going to take a step or I'm going to, it's just all these decisions we make and how crowded it is in there. And this man said, I've, I've developed a new 
for him, a new practice in his cause is called the power of the pause, P-A-U-C, not the dog, pause, like pause, be still. So he said, be still. He said, so he's gotten to where, you know, his day's busy, and let's say he has a bank of phone calls. So let's say I just finished a phone call, and I got another important phone call, instead of just busting through it, he'll just pause. Let the Lord speak to him, be still, confess any sin, think it through, what's a godly response, you know, pray for God's presence. And in his office, he has his alarm set for 10 and for two for the whole staff. So even if they're in a meeting, obviously a Christian office, right? <laughs> so um, if, even in the middle of a meeting, if that alarm goes off, everybody just stops. So I just listened to it earlier this week, but I tried it a couple times at work this week, and it was really amazing. You, you think you'll have time to step back and think, but the day goes by so fast, and your head's down, and, you're, and then the alarm goes off, and you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, this isn't about me, you know? So I just thought that was a great little tip. I just, I'm going to keep practicing the power of the pause. We're just so tending to go horizontal. There's so much to keep us busy. And nowadays, it's even horizontal and down, right? Because what are we doing? We're looking at silly phones. And when things get really bad or really hard or really busy, we start maybe looking for relief, right? I need relief. I need time. I need rest. I need to get away. But God gives more than relief. He gives restoration. He renews us. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. That is so much better than finding relief, right? So that kind of sums up the Holy Spirit for the last uh, that portion. I just didn't want to jump into the fruits of the Spirit without remembering who we are as children of God. So we're going to move now to the love of God. Uh, fruits of the Spirit are love, right? And so where does true love come from? Well, it comes from our Jesus. It comes from God. And God is not just loving, right? God is love. He is the very essence of love. So I just had a couple of verses I wanted to look up. Let's look up Ephesians 2.4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So before, can a dead man make himself lively? No, Christ brings us to life. God brings us to life. There's nothing we can do to generate this life we have in Christ and in God. And it comes from God's love. It's his desire for us. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. God doesn't wish that one would perish. So that none would perish, but have everlasting life. He desires this relationship with us. Isn't that amazing? We are, we are sinful people. But God, yet God, but God. And um, in John, 1 John 4.10 that's the verse where he first loved us. It's not that we loved him, but he first loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the payment for our sins. We have a debt of sin to God. We have a debt to pay, but we can't pay it. There's nothing that we can do that's good enough. So Christ took on that debt by his death on the cross. 
And when we accept his, um, his forgiveness and his work on the cross, then we're forgiven too. It's a wonderful thing, Lord. It's, it's quite the gift. It's the only gift that really matters, right? So I want to talk just a minute about the difference between man's love and God's love. So I think man's love is pretty shallow. <laughs> what do we love? Uh, we love ice cream and puppies. Right? We might love a man who loves us and is good to us. We, we love things that satisfy us. We love things that make us feel good. We love things that make us feel good about ourselves. It's a pretty shallow love. And so it limits us in our interaction of love with others. So God's love is very different. God's love is balanced with holiness and justice and righteousness. And he's all-knowing and all-powerful and all-present. That gives him so much more information than we have on what is loving and what's not. Sometimes we think, see things that happen and we think, how can a loving God allow that? Suffering is a hard topic, isn't it? There are many people who don't believe because they don't understand how a loving God can allow people to suffer. And you know what? I can't answer that question either. I don't know why, but I do trust God. I trust that he's going to be with me. He says he'll never leave me nor forsake me. He indwells me with his spirit. He equips me with his word. And he sent his own son to die on the cross. He understands suffering. So though I don't, though I don't understand it, I trust him. So we can trust God's kind of love. If you've been through a hard time, which I, every single one of you has been, I am sure. If you look for God, he's really, really there. In ways you never knew because you were occupied with the world. But when we suffer, we see God up close. If we're searching for him. If you're hurting and you know somebody who's, who's got joy and they've been through suffering, that's who you want to talk to. How did you get through this? How did you keep perspective? Where does God show up? Tell me how to find him. Lean on each other when you suffer. Find somebody who's been through what you've been through. God says that we're supposed to, as believers, offer that comfort. Whatever we've been through so we can comfort each other. We have a whole lot of that going on in this room. And ladies in Zoom, you're always welcome to call and email or whatever. We love to pray for you. We love to counsel. We love to talk. We love to share Jesus. We love to be a testimony to him. So I just built a very short list, not quite as long as the one on the Holy Spirit, but about God's love for us. So you have that on your paper. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised you from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart... One believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So for as people, our relationship with God and his love begins at salvation. And actually it starts before then because he was already calling us. He's already written our name in the book. But when we accept him, that's when it starts in our life. Romans uh, 5, 10, and 11. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we should be saved by his life. 
And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Reconciled. That word reconciled, there's a lot of, um, you know, when you study the, the New Testament, there's a lot of Old Testament too, but a lot of kind of technical terms. And so reconcile is, is basically a ledger, like a bookkeeping, right? So when you, who reconciles their checkbook? You better all say yes. You guys all reconcile your checkbook? <laughs> if you don't, you're sorry, right? Um, but when you reconcile your checkbook, the, the goal is to get to zero at the bottom. You've spent the same amount as you've written, right? So it comes down to zero. So that reconciliation, God gives us that zero. We don't own anything. He's reconciled our debt. Pretty amazing. And what did we do to, to contribute to that? Absolutely nothing. He makes us new, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, when we become a believer, it takes time to grow. I was talking to one of our women today, and she said, you, you know, we're not perfect, but that's our goal. That's what we're working towards. And that won't happen in our lifetime. We become perfect when we go to heaven with Jesus and we have a new body. But right now, we have a new heart and a new mind and a new mindset, new goals. We should really be seeing changes in our heart and changes in our thinking as new creatures. Things that were important to us before should not be so much now. And things that we never even thought of should be top of mind. It's a complete turnaround of what was important to us. And our, that should really show up in our thought life. I hope you're paying attention to your thought life. Your thought life can be really, really subtle. But you should be finding things, you should be finding God's word and time in prayer as very, very, something you look very forward to because that's your new creature. Your new creature is looking for God. Our old creatures did not. We're adopted as sons, Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. It's one of my favorite ways to start prayers. Dear Father, Abba, Father, you are my Father. We have a Father that cares intimately about the details of our life and has adopted us into his family forever. And then we have a promise of reward. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart, ladies. That's what we're here for, to help each other, encourage each other not to lose heart. But God also gives us warning that we will be afflicted. So 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Is that kind of scary? you think we have an adversary? It's like a lion. He's seeking to destroy. Because why? Why does he want to destroy us? Because he thinks that if he wins, then he gets to rule the world. But... But he's still, and I feel that he's really unleashed and has been unleashed in our society. We've let go of things. We've let go of the standard of God's word, of the truth of his word. And I feel like 
Um, he's, he's really roaring. The, the devil's really roaring right now. And he is our enemy. We can never take that enemy lightly. So one of the things, I think probably the key way that Satan um, gets to us is by deception, right? So I wanted to just start very basic here, go back to Genesis, go start at, the, at verse 1. This is at the fall of, of um, Adam and Eve, so they've had this wonderful garden to live in, daily fellowship with God. What were they thinking? <laughs> How could you want anything different? That we, each one of us has to know that we would do the same thing, that we, would, we could also be very tricked by the, by the devil. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, oh, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. How's that? Wouldn't that be great? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed figs together for themselves and make leaves together and make coverings for themselves. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves among the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So what I want to look at um, for a few minutes here is the difference between what Eve did and what she should have done. So what she did was she hid. Right? She hid from God. Now, for one thing, that's kind of comical. We can't hide from God. <laughs> we think we can, right? But this is the very first case of shame. You know, our um, shame is kind of big psychological talk in our, in our day, and it is a true affliction we all work through. But there is a godly solution to shame. And so Adam and Eve both covered themselves and hid from God. Hiding is a place of darkness. There's no resolution when we hide, right? And so um, Satan tells us in those times we're hiding, you're not good enough. You can't confess this. You're just not worthy. What have you done to deserve this kind of forgiveness? It's a mode of self-protection. You know, some people suffer from this shame thing more than others. People who have a really strong sense of shame typically end up uh, or can end up. They are the people that you will see who are suffering from drug addiction, any kind of addictions, the shame thing, because what they're trying to do is make themselves feel better. They're trying to forget how shameful that they feel. It's a really, really detrimental, horrible place to live is in shame. Everything everybody says to you confirms the fact that you're not but that's not what God says. We've just read through all these wonderful verses about what God feels about us. He wants us part of his family. He treasures us. He provides for us. And yet, we hide from him. We even do that as believers. 
you know, we kind of try to maybe uh, reason with ourselves that it wasn't that big a deal, that it didn't really mean it, you know, that you know, it wasn't that bad. That's all shame-based and that's all hiding. But God has a much, much better way, and that is confession. He won't, it was okay to feel guilty. We're supposed to feel guilty. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Man, I shouldn't have said that. Why did I do that? What am I going to do at that point? Am I going to hide it and try to cover it up and try to fix it? Or what God wants is for us to confess it. Jesus, I'm sorry. I confess. One is darkness and one is light. So we have this shame and we have guilt. And guilt is an okay thing. We're going to be talking about shame in the coming weeks. We're going to be talking about love husband and love children. And not only do we shame ourselves, you know, we react in shame, but we can also be very harmful to our family members if we live in that space of shame. And we can have a big effect on, on our families. So um, we'll be talking about how, how children might hear things and how our husbands might hear things and how uh, to have healthy relationships in a godly way. So, um, and then guilt is just, hey, we're all sinners. I admit I'm guilty, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. And I ask from that, whoever I offended, I ask for the forgiveness and I move on. And I just want you to know, ladies, um, the Christian Women's Bible Study is a place where you can come when you have those kind of issues, where you're trying to work through guilt or shame. You will never, I have been coming here on and off for 30 37 years, 38, and I have never seen anybody be ugly to anyone else. I have never heard gossip. That is one of our rules. We do not gossip about anybody. If you share with anyone in this room, particularly a leader, your story will not be repeated. You will be prayed for. You will be loved. You will be encouraged. The truth will be spoken. Hey, the truth may not be easy. Right? We're talking about the truth, right? You won't get somebody's opinion. The ladies here love the Lord. And they know that the way to true happiness and true counsel is right here in the sky. This is a safe place. And no matter where you are in life, you know, if you if I when I say things like, we're gonna be talking about husbands and children, you go, oh no, no. Then apply, apply to me. It does apply to you. If you are a woman. You are a, and you want to be a Titus 2 woman, the kind of woman that God calls us to be. He tells us that we should be, the older women should be teaching the younger women. And we are all older than somebody, and even older than someone in the Lord would qualify you to counsel someone, right? And we all, we all need to be that for each other. That's how we get this ever-widening circle. Um, and so if you aren't married, you know, we have we have women here who are divorced. We have women who are divorced multiple times. We have single ladies. We have um, moms, uh, you know, single moms. We have it all. We have every economic status. We have people, you know, we have people from all over the valley. We have Gilbert represented, Chandler, Anthem, Buckeye, Scottsdale, Fountain Hills. Wow, ladies, you guys put the miles on. Isn't that awesome? That is just awesome. But the commonality here is Christ. And that's what draws us to each other. And if you are one a woman who does not have a husband or even children, there is someone in your life who you can still encourage. Ladies, 
the truth is not being taught very many places, and that includes our pulpits. Marriage is one man and one woman. That's just not that hard. <laughs> but we have to be able to stand up for the truth. We have to be the voice of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit's job? Do you remember from last week? The Holy Spirit's job is to convict of Christ, to witness of Christ. And as believers, our job is the same. Through the Holy Spirit, he dwells in us. We are to speak the truth. And that you're going to get lots of opportunities, whether it's your own family, your own daughter, your own mom. We have to be available. Who else is going to be available? I heard a great, I don't listen to all the main podcasts. I really have two I listen to, but Albert Mueller is one. And he was talking earlier this week about Mikhail Gorbachev, the Russian leader who just died this past week. And he was the end of the tyranny of the Russian rule. When he was born, Stalin was in power. And there were people being starved, literally starved to death by Stalin. Horrible regime. People were tortured. There was, you know, it was nothing like we've ever seen in our lifetime. But when he was born, his mom and his grandmother very rebelliously named him Michael, as in Michael archangel and they've had they've had him baptized and though you you know i don't know his whole story the feel you know the, the evidence is that he was not a tyrannical leader that russia came out of that horrible um persecution kind of thing under his rule he's he was able to um work with reagan and mark thatcher and the whole world changed under mikhail gorbachev and what he was saying in the podcast is that it's, they've done studies that show that when someone has a grandmother, a believing grandmother, it is very hard to turn them towards atheism. Think about that. Your grandchildren, and maybe you're not allowed to see them, or maybe you're not allowed to talk to them. Your grandchildren know who you are, and they know what you believe. Is that ever an encouragement? You grandmas, you moms, you grandmas, you stand, you stand in the gap for your children. You testify with the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, I just want to talk about Chris Town for a minute in general. You know, we don't, um, we don't teach divorce. We have one side of the story in that you guys, and we love you to pieces. If there's a chance that your husband would be willing for counsel, we have a couple that loves to take you in and they'll do it by Zoom or maybe by person, I don't know, but mostly by Zoom. And they have really encouraged several couples within our midst uh, in the work. Um, but do know that you can come to any of us, uh, special leaders, and we'd be glad to spend time with you, uh, to, to point you to the word and to, and to encourage you. But um, we take you where you are. Start where you are today. Don't hide in shame if there's something in your past you're ashamed of. Hey, I got things. We all got things. We, but we don't judge. So um, I'm going to close in prayer, and then we'll indeed come up and move us to the next. Dearest Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your salvation, Lord. We thank you for the way you lead us and guide us. Lord, I pray that you would just soften our hearts. Help us to come to you, Lord, with open arms. 
Help us not to hide more. Help us to give up our sin, give up whatever um, we're hiding. Lord, help us come out into the light of your word and let you change us, Lord. You tell us the Holy Spirit will teach and convict and grow us. Lord, may we, may we be willing who are willing to stand for you. Stand for the truth. In Jesus' name.